Sumerian. Noun. One of a mythical people described by Homer as inhabiting a place of perpetual mist and darkness, guarding the way to the land of the dead. Chapter 1 Peter leaned out of the boxcar and peered apprehensively ahead at the train sneaking along the hills, the fog clinging to the trees and valley like ugly cotton lint. Poland, what little he had seen of it, was cold and wet, with sky the color of gray metal and heavy, low clouds. The trees along the railroad tracks were overgrown and pressed down from both sides. It was a dark, gloomy place, this valley. There had been no dwellings, no cultivated fields, no sign of any life since before the train left the main line. Frost hung thick in the air. Peter's relief at not spending the impending winter on the eastern front had been replaced with apprehension at what lay ahead. His fellow travelers, recent graduates from the residential SS troop training school, were scattered on the straw in the boxcar. Their possessions, still new and shiny, were scattered about, but the men and gear were still not enough to fill the space. The situation with the Jews bound for the concentration camp, the KZ, as it was called, was very different. They were crammed standing into filthy cattle cars, Though they had stopped several times to add additional cars, the prisoners had never been let out. Many of them had died during the three-day journey. At one stop, Peter heard the pitiful calls for water. The Jews were dressed in civilian clothes, whole families bound for the KZ, clutching battered suitcases and tattered bundles, all that remained to them in the world. This lot was from Budapest. Peter had forced himself not to look at the children with their pathetic dolls and had willed himself not to think about it. Why they were here was none of his concern. They would arrive shortly. Already Peter could dimly make out drab buildings through the mist. He drew a lungful of frigid Polish air and shivered. The night his fate had been determined came to him as if it had happened to someone else as if he were standing aside, watching. The coffee had been hoarded since the first days of the war, and the ingredients for the apple strudel were borrowed from nearby friends. They sat in the living room for dessert, and the conversation became serious, as Peter's uncle asked how his wounds were healing. It was in late 1944, and he had been recalled for service in the Wehrmacht. Distressed at the prospect of his return to the Eastern Front, his mother asked her brother Hans to intervene. A few days later he came over for dinner with what Peter desperately hoped was good news. "'Better. I am nearly well,' he told his uncle. "'What do those army doctors know?' his mother said. "'Last week Peter was examined, and they said he was fit to return to duty. He is to report this Monday.' Look at him. He can scarcely lift his arm, and you should see the scars on his chest. When he came to the door last July, I thought he was a ghost. He is much better now, but he is not well. Hasn't he done enough? How could they send him back to the front? He is hardly more than a child. Helga, I saw soldiers barely sixteen years old just the other day. 
Hans said calmly. They were on a troop transport headed east. In Berlin, they're passing out uniforms and weapons. Two fourteen-year-old boys. The doctor said he was under orders to certify anyone who can walk and has his arms and legs, mother. It is not his fault. There are others less fit than me on the front.'